In this episode, we highlight phase three and four of our six-phase roadmap to selling your business and key in on the four components of deep due diligence and then take you to exclusivity and what that looks like in preparation for this journey. You are listening to the Fifth Hammer Growth Podcast, where we help you find harmony and imperfection as you journey towards success in life and in business. So one of the things we've been working on lately has been a workshop, an exclusive invite-only workshop. We have two amazing partners out of the New York City area that are in the day-to-day uh, doing deals um, and merger and acquisition deals for consumer health businesses. And one of the, the main focus of this workshop is helping educate consumer health businesses around what it takes in that process. We did an earlier episode about the first two phases of that process and the roadmap of what it looks like. And we just want to focus on the next two. So we're going to jump in phase three and phase four of this um, six phase roadmap to preparing for an exit and going through that entire process. And we'll kick it off with phase three. Phase three is the deep, heavy due diligence phase. You know, we've already moved past some reverse due diligence, some pre-due diligence on our own. Now we've said yes to you know the four companies that we would accept a final offer and in, in, you know marry, um, and we're getting getting real. So there's kind of real four components to this that we went through. There's you know management presentations, um, expert calls, a VDR or a data room is the common language. And then Q and A trackers, and so we'll just take one at a time. Ryan, share with us kind of your experience with management presentations as we went through the process. Well, and even just in general, this is really for anybody who's who's listening to this and trying to get an idea of the process involved. This is where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, it's um, the meat and potatoes. Yeah, yeah, because not only not only are you um, trying to answer all the questions. And trying to make sure that you're handling this in a very factual, honest way. And, and, and I can't emphasize that enough that you can't hide anything in this process. You have to, everything, ha- you have to, to open disclose. the kimono yeah. and show everything. Because if you don't, they're going to find it and the deal's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. If you, if you think that you can get away with hiding something that happened in your life 10 years ago because it doesn't apply to the <laughs> business today, then you better disclose it because they don't care if you disclose it. They care if you don't. Yep. So do you mean like in your life, do you even mean like personal? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. In fact, we almost we almost had our deal blow up because one of our business partners had a situation um, in past business experiences that we didn't disclose. Yeah. And it wasn't a big thing. I mean, the thing was taken care of like 10 years ago, literally not even a factor, but because it wasn't disclosed, it looked like there wasn't any integrity in the deal. It looked like there wasn't any integrity in the deal and they were willing to walk away. So before, before we even get into this, the, the, the different sections of this, you have to understand that it is to your best interest to be as open and honest and humble as possible through this process. And one of the things, the formal way that you do that through this process is you have 
a legal partner, an M&A attorney, and they will prepare for you what's called a disclosure schedule. And on that disclosure schedule, if it's, if it's, if it's not in the data room, if there's not a document already in the data room for it, and even if there is, they'll just put a list of disclosures that they want to make sure are a hundred percent like visible in that process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and you, you can't hide anything Yeah, because it will come up yep. one way or another. And that the situation that I just talked about was in the freaking bottom of the ninth. And it literally almost blew up the deal. And it was, there were phone calls on Sunday night with individuals that were involved with it 10 years ago to clarify everything's cool. This has been taken care of. The integrity of this gentleman is a hundred percent. No question. He, he, he was, he's a stand, he did it correctly. You know what I mean? And so, so before we even get into anything, you, you've, you've just put it in your head now that you have to be completely open because the last thing you want to do is try to hide something because it'll blow up the deal. Yep. Right. And that goes right into the management presentation, the manager presentation and, and, and sitting down and talking because not only are you trying to be as open as possible, as factual as possible, but you also have to tell the story of your company in a way that will sell. Yeah. You're selling your company. company. You are selling your company. So you have to have enough confidence in who you are and the story that you're telling that it is accurate and also worthy enough to, to, to have the evaluation that you're seeking. Yeah. And this is really where, if you have an executive team that they come in into, because you're going to be asking for documents as part of the data room, you're going to be asking for clarification stuff. Right. But then the the potential buyer the potential investor they want to know who on who's on your team and a lot of times they want to meet them and have a conversation with them right and so that's where dave you were kind of brought more into this process right meeting on phone calls and uh, in-person meetings with potential buyers tell us a little bit more about your experience with that um man uh, and i i hesitate to say it was stressful because i i didn't experience even probably a tenth of what you guys did but it was a little bit like knowing the expectation of um, you know, or what was on the line, what was at stake? Uh, also wondering if we speak the same language, mm-hmm. you know, and, and like, I, you know, I've, I've always lifted up this formula that you guys hear me talk about. And, and then we created this, you know, customer ascension strategy, this unified company strategy, wondering like insecure about that. Are they even going to think that's valuable? Is this going to add value? Um, you know, as an executive managing team expectations around what an exit is and what we're going to get out of it as the team, you know, because everybody, everybody's a little bit entitled, you know, especially when you go through a, a grow, the growth, like the way that we did. And some people were kind of early and they watched the growth and then they see kind of the founders who, who risked everything and are rewarding themselves and getting rewarded because of that. Um, there's some entitlement that comes with that. And that's kind of hard to manage. And that's a different, probably a different topic, but I, I say that because I bring all of that to the table when I would be in right. those meetings and, right. uh, you're still having to run the day to day with the team. Yeah. Right. And, but you still have to show up in a way that is advantageous. For yeah. The, for and, the and, and also mind you, and I don't know if this is like <laughs> applies broadly, but in our scenario, <clears throat> when we had, we had a kind of a difference in idea or, or strategy around what we were going to do between direct consumer and our, our wholesale or our practitioner channels. 
we were told to pause the direct consumer side. And at first it was just going to be for a little bit and then it lasted for a really long time. So then you now have a pretty big marketing team that is kind of sitting on their hands trying to figure out where to contribute at the same time, also getting kind of questioned around what are we doing day to day? And it was just, it was really, that was just, when I say it was stressful, it was just stressful in a different way. In fact, being totally transparent, there was one call. It wasn't with, with the eventual uh, buyer, but there was one call. I went to urgent care because I woke up and I had hives and I thought I was like, I didn't know what was wrong with me. It was basically, I think just like a panic attack of like kind of trying to manage all the different sides. And that's but, real because in, in the, the team that we formed in our company to be able to handle most of these calls, the majority of those calls were myself, Spencer, and then Jeff McLean, our CFO. Yeah. Right. I mean, the three of us, we were on every single call um, and we had the opportunity to bring people in as necessary. Um, you have to be on your game and be able to answer confidently all the time. And if you don't have an answer, you have to be able to say, let me get it back. Let me get it to you. But there might not be a time to get it to them. Mm-hmm. You could just like, you know, we'll put that in the data room. Yeah. And that's a yeah. better answer because here's where it's going to go. So there's, you, you have to play this, this level of confidence self. I mean, confidence comes into everything mm-hmm. because they're, they, these dudes know their job. They know what they're doing. And it was interesting because there was, there was part of this was after, after we went through the management presentations and we talked through everything that we're doing as a company, then they bring on. Um, a bunch of ex- the, the expert calls, right? The expert calls, security, IT, dev, science calls, right? And then finance calls, a ton of finance calls, right? Outside of any management presentation. Yeah. Well, and the, you know what a big lesson for me through all that was? There was no marketing call. Yeah. There was no marketing call. Yeah. You know the why? The emphasis was on finance and regulation. Right. Primarily. Right. So it, that, that was just, that was a big eye opener for me that has ultimately shifted my thinking into product and market and team. Mm. But, um, you know, there was, to your point, like about being open and honest and, and, and humble when they're pegging you with questions and, and they're, they're trying to get to the bottom of the truth of what's really happening, being like being open and honest about like a KPI that you got, didn't even know existed like contribution margin, <laughs> which sounds crazy to say. Well, we knew it existed, but we didn't really track it. We didn't it. track it. Being open and honest about not tracking that isn't necessarily a downside. It could be a positive for them because that's a big win that they could easily execute yeah. on. You know, so anyways, good. Yeah, and I, I and I think that's the that's the important part. So you go through management calls, you go through expert calls, and you're and then we'll get into the QA tracker and the data room because that was just that was crazy. But all of a sudden, this is all piled on top of you in a very short window. Yeah. Because what's happening is your broker that you're working with wants this to move along. And so they're giving deadlines to the, the interested parties on when they need to have things completed. So you're, you're, it's game on. You have deadlines. Yeah. You have nothing else to do except these calls. And we were on calls. Well, you have a lot of other things to do, but this well, is taking but up your time. Yeah, you know what I mean? This good. is taking up everything. Yeah. So like you better clear your schedule and be ready for this uh, and, and have people in place that can be able to handle the company and continue the company moving along because. And in between calls, that's where the Q&A track comes into play, yeah. right? It's 300 plus questions 
per company that's involved in this. So if you multiply that across four companies, you know, thousands of questions, and then they start with like, here's the base set of questions. And then as these expert calls start happening, then there's additional levels of questions, right? Always coming in, you're tracking priority of what are the highest and most important and trying to get initial responses back within 24 hours, spread, you know, spreadsheets. And, And this is where, again, having a good broker Having a good investment banker who has a team that can help manage this process is critical. And then having a good t- internal team, right, of chief of staff or a project lead, right, with a founding a partner and a financial lead. Without those things, I don't know how people go through this process. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, it's, there's probably multiple panic attacks and hospitalizations yeah. and people just give up. And that's really, that's really, you want to select that team and, and it needs to be, um, it needs to be a an owner leader with a project manager um, that has a broad understanding of the company, which why Spencer was was amazing. And I didn't realize this until we were going through that process is how the role of of chief of staff played into the entire concept of being able to because Spencer was right along and knew everything that was going on in the company as much as I did if not more as the CEO. Yeah. I, that's when I understood what a chief of staff was. That's funny because we had worked together for a couple of years before and I, I, I saw it, but I still saw him sort of a COO. But yeah, that's when I understood that role. It's like he, he the broad knowledge across, across the entire organization up and down horizontally and vertically, all the gaps in between like yeah. the, the, the bridge. You've, you've got to have as, as a, as a leader in the company, as CEO, you have to have somebody else who knows as much as you do, or if not more. And if you're, um, if you're a single owner in a company and can provide an alternate, different perspective to challenge, not a yes man, right? You don't want a yes man next to you. You want somebody who's going to challenge you. Who's going to, this is the role of this, of, of a chief of staff. And this is why um, I use the term chief of staff and not like executive assistant, because it's more than that. You have to empower somebody that can make choices on your behalf when you're not there. You have to empower somebody that can be your, and, and it's funny because I used this at one time and it was actually a mistake. I used the concept of eyes and ears and then everybody was like, oh, we don't want to talk to Spencer. You know <laughs> uh, what I mean? Sure. And because, oh, he's the eyes and ears of, and, and it's like, no, man, he is me in proxy. Like Spencer has the ability, had the ability in that company to be able to make decisions and drive things there because I knew and I had confidence in him that when he came back to me, we would understand to be on the same page Mm -hmm. because he knew as much, if not more than I did as CEO, which is a valuable member of the team. And so when you're building your team of who's going to handle these meetings, you have to have an owner leader. You have to have your right hand man right? Chief of staff, if you have them in your organization, and then you have to have a qualified, competent financial CFO. And I've said this before. I think that if I was to do it all over again, what would I do differently? I would have hired a CFO faster. Everybody says that. Everybody says it. Yep. Right. And so that's your team that's going to go through this process of meeting and talking with all of these meetings that are set. Right. And the first one, as 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 you pointed out, Spencer, is the executive or the 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 yeah, the management presentation. Management I think we've touched on we've touched on all four areas, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it really kicks off with a management presentation, really. And even before that, sometimes a QA tracker 
right? It's amplified by expert calls. And then, um, yeah, but that management presentation is, uh, an the data room fills the gaps, an extended version of the presentation that they got, that got them interested in, in, yeah, the, in the company in the first place. That is an, is an extended version of that SIM. Right. So the management presentation is a PowerPoint um, PDF version that you go through and, you, and it's all your talking points and it goes into your, your company overview, your company history, your, your owner influencers, their backgrounds, the roles that they play, your management team, you go into marketing, um, product marketing, product market fit, you go into your product roadmap, you go into your competitive analysis. And this was one that we had problems with is a competitive analysis because we took on the attitude in the company the entire time that nobody competed with us. Yeah. Right. So we actually had to go out and build competitive analysis to be able to present in here because you can't walk into that meeting saying, ah, we don't compete with anybody because they'll be like BS. Right. Like they'll call BS on everything you thought was what you were through these presentations. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, that's, and, the, and that's where the, uh, the broker investment maker will be present. Right. Especially in these management presentations and in the financial conversations, they won't be on every expert call, right? They won't be in in every interaction. No, they there was a representative. The I mean, it wasn't it wasn't Jimmy, but it was they yeah. had they yeah. had somebody in every call with us. That's true, right? Um, but that's why this was so crazy because it dialed into everything, and then that set the stage for the QA tracker and the expert calls. Yeah. And those were crazy. So that QA tracker, that wasn't just a thing of the, from the initial, uh, the eventual buyer. That was, that's just part of every process. Yeah. I mean, it's part of due diligence and we gathered some of that in our pre-due diligence up front in preparation for the, with the data room. Mm -hmm. But no, that does largely come from the buyer as well. Okay. And they'll add like, Hey, we need this or we, do, we want this or add sections. But most buyers will have that, um, and then and the investment, the bank or the broker will have one too, just in prep because they already anticipate we're going to get these questions no matter what. Well, then the beauty so. of the partnership that you have, because here's what really happens: you, you, we we've got it down to four um, interested parties. All four of these interested parties had five hundred questions each, so to say. Mm -hmm. Um. The interesting thing about that is there was probably about a 60% overlap between the questions right. that everybody was asking. Oh, yeah. yeah, the initial right? rounds, yeah. So the our partner would take all these questions, compile them into an Excel spreadsheet, and and merge the one the like questions. So we only had to answer them once. And then they took all those and broke them out again and gave answers to all the so your oh, price. Oh, the dude. Power of the partner, man. Well, and I remember trying to help with some of that. And it was like my first dose of, oh man, this is, this is kind of beyond me. Well, and because some of those times the questions didn't apply. That's true too. Because we didn't, with it wasn't part of our business. But coming back to being, uh, having humility, sometimes my ego will tell me maybe it should apply. And I did, did this wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and you have to have enough confidence to be able to say, you know what? We appreciate the question here. It just didn't apply to our business. And give an explanation why. And stand in that. And stand and in that. Okay. You have to. You have to stand and be like, "Yeah, this didn't apply." For example, here's a good story. Um, I, as an IT uh, background in IT and building corporate infrastructures and global infrastructures, I wanted to create a new 
type of environment that was 100% SaaS that had no need for a, a local server rooms that had no need for local security structures because everything was built off of a SaaS environment platform, right? Um, we had, we were all on, we were on a, a Mac um, office. So every company, every employee in the company had MacBooks. So our IT, we, we were a $50 million company and had zero IT staff. Yeah. We, we trained everybody to handle their own issues to connect to a printer. Cause the only, only, the biggest problems we had was I can't get on Wi-Fi. I can't connect to a printer. That was it. (laughs) Right. From a security standpoint. And so they were, so, so picture this, um, our security in our, our, our office was a Wi-Fi router with a firewall. We didn't have enterprise class security because we didn't store or we didn't store or, or, or catalog or maintain sensitive data or any data in the office. We were using um, a SaaS version of um, of our, our our customer support. We're using a SaaS version of our shopping cart. We are using a SaaS version of our shipping software. We are using a SaaS version of our ERP system. Everything was SaaS. Mm-hmm. And so when we sit down to talk to the technical, the first question was, um, when was your last penetration test? Like not applicable. What's your security protocols? Not applicable. I went not applicable on everything and it was like red flag, red flag. <laughs> and so I had to challenge and debate. And even in the, even because you think about it, they're going to hire, they meaning the interested parties are going to hire an IT firm and a security firm that know their business at the enterprise level. And these dudes have been doing it for 30 years. Well, security in an enterprise level 20 years ago is much different if you're looking at a SaaS model where you don't have any servers in house. I had to explain that over and over and over. And I had to, I had to, I had to position that call in this business so that I could be able to move this forward, the conversation forward without um, a red flag flag going on. Would it have been a red flag if on the question of which, what's, when's the last penetration test? If you answered, that's what she said. <laughs> there was like, oh, geez, <laughs> going, going through some of this. Like, so my example of this is, you know, like LTV cohorts. Right. And stuff like that. Like I, we didn't really track that. I, no. I set targets. I mean, we track, tracked it. We didn't set targets for it. We set targets for purchases. Buyer frequency. How many times can we get people to purchase? Because that drives LTV. We right? simplified the model, right? Which is exactly what I tried to do in an in in an IT environment is simplify the model. Yeah. But when you're dealing with people that are coming in and find and freaking magnifying what you did as a company, they're not going to look for simplification. They're going to look for standard um, operating procedures yes. and best practices. Yes. Well, and the goal is to what you said at the beginning, right? Open and honest, but also share the story and paint it in a way that gives you the stamp of approval. Cause these third party science experts, regulators, it guys, they're going back to the interest party and said, okay, they're good. They passed not just the sniff test, but they passed the due diligence. Right. And if you get a pass from these guys, then they're going to be like, oh, great. Yeah. You know, and that's the ultimate goal. So mm-hmm. be, be able to tell your story and be able to tell the why behind the decisions you made, because if you could validate that, because I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if I had 
a billing server, um, an ERP billing server installed in our office that had a backup data storage without offsite data structures, without the fire proper firewall, without key coded access to that server room, they would have freaking hammered us. But because I stuck to the story and it was the same story every time and I could tell that story, um, we were good. And, and in fact, I remember one point on these, one of these calls, I had to tell the guy that I was talking to like six times, we have no servers in our office. Well, do you have at key code access to your server room? We have no servers in our office. Do you have security? What's your data backup structure for your, we have no security. We have, I had to tell him over and over and over because he couldn't just get past it, but that's yeah. what they're doing. They're just going through their rote structure and you have to stand up because they're looking at. Uh, industry standard best practices and and you're weighed against what they believe is industry standard best practices yeah and i i can't i cannot stress enough how and i don't even just mean through this process i just mean in general how important it is to be able to explain why you did something hmm. even if it's even if it's simple I was just, it was funny, Shonda, uh, Shonda, my wife has been, she like once a year, she'll go through and we'll watch the office again. And there's like, there's a, there's a, uh, an episode where Michael's uh, branch is blowing everybody out of the water with revenue. So they call him to, to headquarters and they ask him, what's he doing differently? And he doesn't know. <laughs> so he's just rambling and making stuff up. And then they put him on this road show to go around and talk to all the other branches. And he doesn't really know. But if he would have, I, I, I was thinking through like, I'll, I'll run into those scenarios a lot with our story at Microbe and Cellcore because I can tell you how I led the team. I can tell you our frameworks and, and I can show you our ascension ladder. But sometimes I don't know if it what we really did. And I believe it was the market and I believe it was the product. And I believe in our absence, it still would have grown. So when somebody asks me, I'm like, I don't know. And I just, I, you know, it's just important to be able to stick to that story yeah. and explain it a little bit. So, and that's a really good point because you have to be able to tell the story and have confidence in doing so. I think the best, the best advice through this process, when you're looking at the management presentations, the, uh, the, um, the expert calls, when you're going in the data room and the documents that you pull together and going into the Q and a tracker, the best advice ever is to be confident in what you're saying that it's accurate and honest i mean that really when it comes down to it that is all that matters because they can understand that you're not perfect they they're not looking at you to and buy you because you're perfect they're looking at you and buying you because you've accomplished something that they think is valuable yes and they probably want to see where are the quick wins that we can now we can come in and increase the revenue yep. increase this opportunity so that's a, I don't even think that can be overstated. You can't say that enough. Yeah. Just be confident in what you did. Explain the why and be honest. And, 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 and honestly, that right there, and you've got to work your butt off. You've got to work your butt off because those calls are tiring. You've got to be well hydrated. You've got to have enough food. You've got to, be, you've got to take care of yourself because those calls are tiring. They're draining and the work that you have to do on the data room and the QA tracker is going to take time and effort and you are all in through this process. And so I guess that wrap that, that advice and the concepts behind this. And if, if we're dialing into, you know, my advice for everybody, and I've said it over and over and over is, is 
man, have the right team around you so that as you're going through this, you're not doing it in a vacuum. Well, and then the ultimate goal, right, as you go through this gruesome due diligence process is that you arrive at Selection Sunday, right? And Selection Sunday is... Is that really what it's called? No, I just mean... That's awesome. That's what you think, dude, it's Spencer. Of course it's going to be... But your broker will then, okay, we did it. We present you with letters of intent, right? They're setting the deadlines. They're saying, hey, interested parties, now you have the opportunity to submit a final bid, right? He collects those and then he presents them to you and you say... Which one? Which one of these are we going to go exclusive with? Right? Because once you go exclusive, you're basically saying to everybody else, no, no, goodbye. Thank you for like, your time. You're now in, you're, you're engaged, right? But this is like a really quick engagement, right? And so then you get a letter of intent with a preliminary UPA, um, which is a purchase agreement. And you pick one, you sign exclusivity, and then it's like, it's a race to close. And you just race to the closing line, right? And this exclusivity period could last a week. It could last three weeks. It, it, you know, you want it to be as short as possible because all you're marching to now is signature pages. It's all the legal documents, all the contracts so that you can finalize a purchase agreement and get to a successful close. And we'll go over the close in another episode. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's crazy. Can I this say- is like. Hey, the dating phase, the courting phase is over. We're engaged and this engagement is going to be fire, fire fast. Let's go. Can I say one thing? And we can edit this out if we want, because I may have said this before, but for first time founders and even longtime founders who just find that they've got a big hit on their hands. And this is coming from somebody that was on the team side. Fight the, resist the urge to tell your team that you're going to make them rich. Oh yeah. And resist the urge to tell them you're going to, what you're going to do for them because there's already going to be some entitlement at play. If people have laid down their lives to help grow a company. And if, if you do anything before you know exactly what it's going to be, you're going to stoke that fire and you're going to make it worse because it's probably, I've talked to a handful of people who have who've been through exits at the end and they, and I, and I'll say, yeah, I'm going to told I was going to get this. And then I ended up with this and, and uh, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I'm grateful for it, but you know, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And they say it never is because you get to the close, which we'll go through in another episode and things change. There's rollover cash. There's this, there's a, a maybe a founder who did, who's like finally realized this is going to be life-changing for them and they risked everything to get here. So they deserve it. Right. So I would just say, and I don't really think that could be overstated. Just wait until you know exactly what's going to be. And then let it be a surprise and delight. Well, and a, and a good broker will say something similar, right? They'll they'll tell you that the deal, like, is it real until it closes? Yeah, because that's where all the details are fleshed out, finalized, and funds flow, right? But yeah, I mean, this is really you're really nearing the end of the process at phase four of going exclusive, and you're working heavily at this point with your legal partner, your your, your M and A attorney, and they're helping dot all the I's, cross all the T's, get all the documents situated. They're working with the other legal side, legal team. There's some negotiation happening on what's in the reps and warranties and you know, what's on the disclosure schedule. And, and again, very intense. And this is where all owners are even more heavily involved uh, if they weren't prior, if you have multiple owners in the business. Um, but yeah, and 
once you get through this week, two, three, four weeks, hopefully it doesn't take longer than that. You want it to be as short as possible. That's where you arrive at the close. Yeah, and, and that's going to be, yeah, that's going to be a We'll, we'll talk about that in a future episode, but uh, we'll kind of end there. Um, it's gruesome, but it's worth it. And there's a lot to learn in the process. Yeah.